welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of the Be A Good Wheel podcast. I'm your host, Amber Pierce, and I'm thrilled to share this journey with you. When I was in college, I fell in love with riding bicycles. My crush also happened to be on our club team. And as I pedaled behind him on one of our first rides, he said, don't worry, I'm a good wheel. He meant that I could trust him to ride safely, but I hoped he meant a little more. When he added, that's a metaphor for life, my heart soared. No joke, I married the man and he is absolutely a good wheel. I ended up competing as a professional cyclist for over a decade, cultivating skills that made me a good wheel in the world of bike racing. But I also experienced firsthand what a difference a good wheel could make both on and off the bike. I've made a point to try to pay that impact forward. And in doing so, I've begun to understand just how many different ways a person can be a good wheel. This exploration of what it means to be a good wheel has long been an informal personal endeavor. And here I am, finally putting it all together in a podcast form. In this first season, we'll experiment with different formats and you can expect a lot of conversations with top performers and experts who exemplify what it means to be a good wheel. This episode is a little different. It's just me. I've had a pretty non-traditional path and the path that would eventually lead me here to this microphone has been anything but linear. In fact, it's been more like the trajectory of a pinball thrown into a wild array of life experiences by two paddles. One being my love for academic inquiry, and the other being my love for sport and human performance. Today, I want to share more about my story, how I got from performing surgery on tuna in the open ocean to speaking with you right now, why I'm making this, and what I hope for you to get from the show. You're listening to the Be A Good Wheel podcast, the show where we explore what it means to be a good wheel by digging into scientific research and personal stories about human potential and performance. I'm your host, Amber Pierce. I wanted to be a lot of things growing up. In kindergarten, I had my heart set on becoming an archaeologist. I loved to uncover mysteries. By the time I entered college, however, I was sure I wanted to be a writer. That is, until my fascination with the physiology, driving my performance as a competitive swimmer, tilted the scales in favor of a completely different trajectory. As a high school swimmer, I had set state and national records, earning an athletic scholarship to attend Stanford University. I had also graduated as valedictorian and earned the distinction of being named a President Scholar upon admission to Stanford, being one of 100 freshman admits to receive an intellectual exploration grant in recognition for outstanding academic merit. As thrilled as I was to realize my dream of competing for the nation's top swimming program, I was equally, if not more eager, to explore what the university had to offer in academic opportunities. As a freshman in college dreaming of becoming a writer, I was also training 35 to 40 hours a week with national champions, Olympians, and world champions. It was not just a physical challenge. I was studying the physics underlying different swimming techniques and the physiology behind different nutritional strategies. We worked with leading experts in every facet of our performance, each new insight setting my curiosity afire. As much as I loved my literary studies, I couldn't deny this deep love of science. Even when I officially declared a major in human biology, it remained one among many facets of interest. I loved studying the intricacies of biological systems, 
But I'd also wonder at how the behavior of a molecule connected to the behavior of the person, and the person within more expansive relationships and systems. Biology was, for me, a gateway to exploring the complexity, beauty, and wholeness of the human experience. My studies in human biology eventually led me to take a course on comparative physiology, which introduced me to the fascinatingly wacky array of physiology in our oceans, which ignited my curiosity. I decided to pursue a master's degree focused on oceanography through Stanford's Earth Systems program. I couldn't wait to immerse myself in learning how the unique physics of the Earth interacted with the fluid dynamics and chemical properties of the oceans to shape the physiology of marine life. But the Earth Systems program had a unique approach. It required embracing a 360-degree view of the world's challenges, well beyond oceanography or marine science. The interdisciplinary approach of the Earth Systems Program applied what you might call systems thinking to complex environmental problems. Imagine, as an example, you're passionate about saving the whales. Sure, you love these majestic creatures, but to have real impact, You would need to understand their physiology and ecology, and for example, the interplay of these with the environment, pressures of whaling, and policies affecting whaling. So you would also have to grasp policy analysis and the economics of whaling, with all the corollary financial and political ripples, all of which relate to economics, culture, and psychology of human beings. In other words, to make a substantial difference, you have to understand the components of and relationships among multiple systems involved, and judiciously apply the scientific method in order to intelligently and persuasively problem-solve with an array of stakeholders. This is exactly the kind of thing my brain craves. I was like a kid in the candy store, studying everything from fluid dynamics, climate modeling, economics, and psychology, to cultural anthropology, international relations, and policy analysis. I dove in to assist on as many research projects as I could and ended up authoring peer-reviewed papers and earning acknowledgments on others. I spent months at sea conducting research with world leaders in science and got to collaborate with a Nobel laureate in economics. A future in academia seemed inevitable, but I couldn't shake the feeling that something was missing. Support for the show comes entirely from listeners like you. Support us on Ko-Fi and Patreon to get exclusive content, official Be A Good Wheel merch, and more. We encourage you to check out our page on Ko-Fi. Unlike Patreon, Ko-Fi doesn't take a fee, so 100% your support goes to the show. Go to ko-fi.com slash beagoodwheel. That's ko-fi.com, K-O-F-I.com slash Be A Good Wheel. For more ways to support the show, including on Patreon, check out beagoodwheel.com slash support. That's beagoodwheel.com slash support. If the idea of being a good wheel resonates with you, check out the Be A Good Wheel community at beagoodwheel.com slash community. The community is a virtual, membership-based organization of like-minded folks keen to continue exploring what it means to be a good wheel beyond the podcast. Connect with other folks on topics that go way beyond the bike, toward meaningful application and fellowship across industries and aspirations. Fuel your curiosity and inspiration by joining today. Learn more and join us at beagoodwheel.com slash community.
During my graduate studies, I found myself on a commercial fishing boat off the coast of Baja, performing surgery on live tuna. As a member of the research team, my job was to surgically implant archival tags into live yellowfin tuna and release them, effectively turning the fish into remote sensing platforms that could collect real-time information as they traversed the ocean. Our system allowed the live-caught fish to continue respiring through their gills during the short surgical procedure, all designed to minimize distress to the fish prior to release. I would make a small incision, insert the tag, and close the incision with sutures, all in a matter of seconds, then return the live fish to the sea, where it would help us unravel many of the ocean's mysteries. The implanted tags could record information about the fish's internal physiology, as well as about the water in which they swam. From it, we were able to propose a new mathematical method for estimating chlorophyll, or the plant life forming the basis of the food chain in the water column, giving us insights into the very lifeblood of the ocean. As much as I relished the science, it was on that fishing boat that I first realized my path might lay outside the halls of academia. When we first boarded the boat, there was a palpable tension between our team of scientists and the crew of commercial fishermen. Understandably so. In our field, scientists tend to support conservation efforts, and fishermen and conservationists often view each other as adversaries when it comes to fisheries policy, a well-worn narrative of opposing interests. Or so it seemed. At sea for weeks in close quarters, we naturally made an effort to connect and make conversation, and I found myself captivated by the profound transformation taking place. We came to realize that although our positions about fishing and conservation differed, our core interests were in fact the same. We all wanted more fish. It was an epiphany that changed the entire dynamic on board. Once we recognized our shared desire for abundant, healthy populations of fish, conversations turned from awkward, careful exchanges to open, impassioned dialogues. It was a turning point that opened my eyes to a crucial realization. As fascinating and awe-inspiring as science can be, the breakthroughs, the discoveries, none of it mattered unless it could be shared outside the laboratory. My true love for science, I realized, wasn't fueled by the science alone, but rather the interface, the intersection with the real world, where policy decisions are made, where real change happens. Science in its brilliance needs translators, communicators, and advocates to bridge that gap. Out there on the water, somewhere amid the hum of the engine, the drama of open ocean fishing, and the exchange of ideas, I knew with absolute clarity that I wanted to be such an advocate. I didn't know how, but I could feel in my bones that my love for science, my fascination with physiology, had a destination beyond the confines of a lab or university. Sure enough, less than a year later, the trajectory of my career took an unexpected turn onto a path where science, sport, and the pursuit of greater purpose would soon converge. While conducting my graduate research, I began riding my bike to keep fit. I tried running, but my advisor got so tired of hearing me complain about shin splints that he gave me his own bike. I have a bicycle collecting dust in my garage. It's yours for the love of all that is good. Please take it. So I started to ride my new-to-me bike along the beautiful coastlines of Monterey, California, where I was studying. With vistas of legendary beauty, it was an easy place to fall in love with riding bicycles. Though I couldn't possibly have known at the time 
what a dramatic turn my life would take as a result of this new hobby. At the suggestion of a fellow graduate student, I joined our collegiate cycling team. One thing led to another, and a year or so later, I won the collegiate conference championship title and went on to win the collegiate national championship title and overall. In less than six months following the collegiate season, I won enough races to upgrade to the highest amateur category of the sport, earning the interest of a professional team based in the area. By the end of the season, they offered me a contract to race full-time for them the following year. Not exactly a path to the academic career that I had envisioned. Pursuing a career as a professional cyclist was just about the last thing I could have guessed I would be doing after graduating. On one hand, it seemed like a weird and wild new adventure. On the other, it felt like I was coming full circle from my days as a swimmer and my human biology degree. I had the chance to extend my learning journey by plunging even deeper into the science of human performance. And this time, the laboratory was out on the open road in international races across multiple continents. I had the chance to not just understand the science, but to live it, breathe it, and apply it in the pursuit of peak performance. As a pro, I found myself surrounded by world-class experts, genuine maestros in human nutrition, sports psychology, performance training, and physiology. On this new path, my exploration of leading-edge science took the form of dynamic discussions about the race we conquered that day or the next block of training. The principles we debated weren't theoretical. They were applied in real time, in the heat of actual races on which our careers depended. I absorbed not only the wisdom of experts, but also the lessons of my fellow athletes, national champions, Olympians, and world champions. It was a surprising revelation that the life of an athlete could be such a rich and intellectually stimulating environment. Yes, the goal was to train to be the best, to perform at the highest level. But to train at your best, you needed to mine the depths of human knowledge to incorporate the most cutting-edge science into your athletic practices. My university studies gave me a powerful foundation for applying the scientific method and for taking my understanding of physiology to a whole new level in this environment. But the environment itself opened my eyes to yet another crucial realization. I was thriving specifically because I was in a collaborative environment, experimenting and discovering alongside other human beings engaged in the same quest for excellence, facing many of the same challenges that come with being human, Not only did I relish the translation and application of the science, but I felt a deeper sense of fulfillment being in conversation as part of a living discussion with other people. I knew that I loved science, and in particular, the exploration of the human experience. On the boat, I had realized that I wanted to become an advocate in bridging scientific research with real-world application. On the bike, I came to more deeply appreciate the human aspects of striving and the profound value of dynamic, collaborative dialogue. For a long time, I had believed that the best performers had figured out a way to perform at their peak all of the time, no matter what. I thought their secret was to compartmentalize everything and to execute every facet of their training and competition with robot-like consistency and precision. But living on the road and performing in high-pressure environments with the best of the best, I saw a very different perspective. I remember being in a race in France relatively early in my career. A young woman who had achieved astonishing results in a breakout performance that year was also at the race. I was frankly in awe of what she had accomplished so early in her career. She was always so composed at the races and seemed to have everything under control. 
I never saw her look anything other than perfectly confident that year. We were a few days into a five-day stage race, and we'd just made it over a series of tough climbs into a valley, where the field of competitors eased the pace a bit. It was a welcome respite. I reached for my water bottle to take a drink, and was startled to see this woman ride to the edge of the road, lay her bike down in the grass, and sit. It was the breakout star. She just stopped in the middle of the race and not even during the hardest part. I learned later that she had reached a breaking point and felt too burned out to continue. She left the sport soon after the race. Seeing her story unfold drove home what I'd begun to realize. Even the phenoms and legends of the sport were human beings, and like me, they were all far from perfect, facing normal human challenges. On one hand, I found this very reassuring. Perhaps being an imperfect human wouldn't disqualify me from achieving greatness after all. On the other hand, I had to wonder, if the best in the world are not superhuman after all, how do they manage to achieve such heights of excellence in the face of human fallibility? The longer I raced, the more I encountered moments like this, when my deeply held beliefs about performance crumbled under the pressure of real-world application. I began to realize that things I'd taken for granted as being true were not facts, but assumptions, and that, though they seemed perfectly logical, were patently untrue and in some cases even harmful. As my experience proved more and more of my prior assumptions wrong, I had to question, experiment, and find a different way forward. My racing career became a scientific practice of myth-busting. I wasn't alone on this path. Olympians, world champions, and other elite performers were grappling with similar challenges and questioning the same assumptions. Yet as I spoke with folks of different backgrounds and at different stages of their journeys in cycling, there was a common assumption that these human struggles were not something that elite performers experience. Many assumed, as I once had, that elite performers could bypass these mundane issues, that they had it all figured out, or ought to. The reality could not have been further from the truth. Even as a professional athlete, I was navigating through challenges, constantly learning and evolving, and this was the case for athletes far more accomplished than me. What elite performers were doing wasn't so much eliminating or bypassing these challenges as learning how to work with them, to leverage them for learning and growth. I realized that these elite performers were far more relatable than most folks might think, not only in terms of their struggles, but also in terms of their willingness to share what they've learned. In launching this podcast, my hope is for you to hear from world-class performers and experts, to see yourself reflected in their stories, and to feel seen and heard. I want you to discover actionable takeaways that resonate with your life and unlock new perspectives and ways to navigate challenges. My aspiration is for you to find valuable insights that propel you forward on your journey toward unlocking your potential, whether that's in your athletic pursuits or other aspects of life. At a deeper level, I hope this podcast contributes to a seismic shift in culture, not just within the realms of sports and performance, but across workplaces, businesses, and academia. It's about real people facing real challenges, coming together and discovering common ground. By finding those shared interests, we can anchor ourselves in allyship and collaboration. Personally, I'm thrilled to dive into the learning, to explore research, and to share these findings with you. I want to engage with the best minds and 
biggest hearts in the world, seeking insights that can be transformed into actionable advice. Together, let's create a space where knowledge is shared, challenges are met, and a culture of support and collaboration takes root. Join me as we explore the intersections of science, sports, and the boundless potential for positive change. Stay tuned for inspiring stories, conversations, and reflections that celebrate the transformative power of being a good wheel. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. If you loved today's show, remember to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Be a Good Wheel podcast is produced by our wizard behind the curtain, Maxine Philavon. Find all published episodes and sign up for our newsletter at beagoodwheel.com. You can also listen wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the show comes entirely from listeners like you. Support us on Ko-Fi and Patreon to get exclusive content, official Be A Good Wheel merch, and more. We encourage you to check out our page on Ko-Fi. Unlike Patreon, Ko-Fi doesn't take a fee. So 100% of your support goes to the show. Go to ko-fi.com slash beagoodwheel. That's ko-fi.com slash beagoodwheel. Learn more about how to support us at beagoodwheel.com slash support. Until next time, thanks for listening and thanks for being a good wheel.